Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Monday, June 17th, 2019, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at inquiring.show, on Twitter at inquiringshow, and on Facebook. You can also get an ad-free version of this show by supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. This is our monthly up-to-date episode where we talk about science in the news that caught our eye. Uh, And I have to say there's one story this week that uh, I simply couldn't pass up. And that is that there has been a on-off switch found in the mouse brain that makes mice sing. Uh, I'm already seeing why you couldn't avoid this (laughs) story. Wait, Wait, I thought... Singing was an incredibly complicated uh, set of behaviors sort of all strung together. How is there just one on-off switch? Uh, So did I. Uh, But there is this vocalization that mice make uh, when they court each other. So it's very much specific to courtship. And uh, these particular researchers found, they're from Duke, and they found this cluster of neurons in the periaqueductal gray region of the brain, which is in the midbrain. Um, It's part of the reward pathway. It's part of the motivation pathway. um, And it's part of the motor control pathway. And essentially, when they used optogenetics to stimulate this area, uh, the mice produced these vocalizations specific to courtships. Um, And if you turn those cells off using, you know, optogenetics too, uh, you actually found that the mice could still court other mice using other sexy methods, um, but not vocalizations. All right. I, I don't want to discuss the other sexy methods mice have, but I'm, I'm very curious about this. So obviously by sort of shining a light in this area, like optogenetics works to activate a set of genes to kind of get things in motion, you get a set of, we see different behavior and they're, they're talking. Is it really singing though? Like when well, you it, say it vocalization. Like different, yeah. I mean, it seems like a different type of, um, of communication. So it's only in the presence of a female in, in heat or the female that the, the, the male wants to mate with. And it, it's, it's also, you know, it seems like they sort of produce the same kind of song uh, each time. And the, the thinking is that the neurons that they found here are not, they don't determine like 
different aspects of the music. So they don't make the mice more or less musical. They don't determine what part of the song they sing. It's simply a kind of on-off switch. Uh, and so what they're trying to figure out now is 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 how this gate works. Uh, and, and so obviously there's something higher up probably in the brain where uh, the the learning, you know, vocal learning in mice happens and, and they sort of learn to do these things. And we know that that's actually vocal learning in mice is, is a really fascinating topic and it is, you know, controlled by specific genes. But then this is kind of like a, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is kind of in the mid midpoint, right? So it's not like they can't make other kinds of vocalizations. They just don't make the ones that seem to be specific for courtship. What's weird about this is if you left off what animal this was and just said the story with a kind of a blank space there, I would have immediately guessed birds. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Or a type of bird. So is there, do you think there's some commonality here or is this something that's unique to a mouse for some reason? Um, I actually think it's there's there's probably a lot of commonality here between the mouse and uh, primate sort of control of the voice, and that you know there 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 are some kind of convergent pathways that have evolved between songbirds and um, mice and, and other mammals who, who who sort of do this, but obviously they're different. You know, they they actually evolved in different in, um, at different times, and you know it's convergent uh, evolution rather than um, divergent evolution. So, you know, I, I think that um, I, I don't know that you would see a similar gating in the bird um, or in bird species, I should say, because obviously there are different types of birds who sing. But this seems to be a kind of there. You know, there might be somewhere something similar in terms of a human an analog. Probably not singing, <laughs> um, but maybe some other kind of either vocalizing or uh, motivated behavior related to courtship or reproduction. Yeah, I know it's a stretch to apply this forward to humans, uh, given how complex our mating rituals can be. But um, I've never seen a primate do this either. Or at least I haven't noticed this. So I'd be uh, curious if like other... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, You've never seen primate. a primate try to woo a mate with song? Well, <laughs> you like okay, I've buried seen it. yourself. <laughs> I've definitely seen it. I haven't seen it done well, but I've seen it. Um, but You're I haven't seen it. Like, I was sort of thinking about like orangutans and gorillas right. and, you know, even down to rodents that you would think would have a lot of relationships with mice. I, I don't recall this maybe this is really common and it's just well no 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 no, no. see here's where you're wrong this is what's really interesting about um our species and uh compared to other primates and certain bird species compared to other bird species like chickens for example don't sing original songs um and many of the other primates they only do also... covers we all know that yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right um you know and uh and and other primates most other primates also don't don't produce novel vocalizations. So this is why this work is so interesting to me is because, you know, you have these pathways that have uh, evolved in these different species. And in some ways we are more like certain songbirds than we are some of our closer primates when it comes to using the voice to, to create novel strings of vocalizations. If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, like writing that perfect song for your mate, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. 
Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you're not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Inquiring Minds listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code MINDS. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com MINDS. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com MINDS. Inquiring Minds listeners, do you wonder how dating apps shape our ideas of love and romance? Or whether technology has changed who you consider family? Or how the blockchain works and how it might revolutionize how we protect ourselves online? Then I can recommend a new podcast that I think you'll really enjoy called You. It's hosted by writer and musician Claire L. Evans and brought to you by Okta. You explores how modern identity exists at the intersection of technology and humanity. In each episode, Claire speaks with renowned experts in the fields of science, technology, art, philosophy, and design. Her provocative questions uncover deep insight into how tech is changing the way we see ourselves, each other, and the world. In the first season, you covers everything from the algorithm of our hearts to virtual reality, digital assistance, and how internet fame can become internet shame. Search for you by Okta, that's O-K-T-A, wherever you get your podcasts and start listening today. So what caught your eye? Are you a fan of the movie The Princess Bride? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, I'm a nerd. Right? <laughs> Everyone's a fan of The Princess Bride. We're all dread pirate uh, Roberts fans on the inside. Um, but there's one character who has a connection to a study that came out this week. Do you remember what Inigo Montoya was looking for that whole movie? Uh, you killed my father, prepare to die. Yeah, but what was the characteristic of the man that killed his father? Oh, goodness. Was he like, had like uh, an extra finger or something? That's right. He had a glove with um, that showed that he had six fingers. Oh, right. And uh, our story this week is for all you Princess Bride fans, because... A study came out in Nature on June 3rd in Nature Communications that studied a couple people that actually have six fingers on their hands. Uh, One of these is a 17-year-old boy who has, it looks essentially like somebody added a digit in between his thumb and his index finger. It's called a supernumerary uh, digit. And uh, in his case, this, what's called a polydactyl situation, is actually able to use the six finger uh, pretty naturally. Hmm. And because he has six fingers, he can do pretty extraordinary things with one hand. Like Hmm. he can tie his shoes with one hand. Wow. And not just like, oh, really? He can tie his shoes with one hand and it takes him like five minutes to do it. No, he can like tie his shoes with one hand like a normal human does with two hands. So that um, means he, ha- he has like the whole innervation and, and he can he doesn't have like focal dystonia where he can only he can't he can move two fingers at the same time, but not separately. That's yes. So this is what's crazy is they did an MRI of his hand and they actually looked at some of the musculature and uh um and sort of anatomy of this of this hand and it gets even weirder so there are like separate muscles and tendons that control the digit like you would have for all of the other digits 
So it's not just like an extra digit that's just there along mm-hmm. for the ride, as it were. It's actually can do stuff. It gets even weirder than this because this dexterity implies not only that there's extra muscles and tendons, but there has to be something controlling those muscles and tendons. And they looked at scans of his brain and actually are finding some dedicated areas that are for that digit hmm. alone, uh, which is totally weird, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but I, I feel like, yeah, that has to be the case because, you know, what, what we see sometimes in musicians who fail to be able to move two fingers separately as a result of sort of like, almost like a repetitive neural injury. Um, it's because the their brain has kind of fused those together. And, you know, there's all those great studies that sort of launched the whole neuroplasticity, you know, movement or, or um, field. They started out with monkeys who uh, whose fingers were either sewn together or where they trained up one finger uh, more than all the others. And, and what they found is that certainly in the motor cortex, and in the sensory motor cortex, uh, they you can actually see the way that the receptive fields of the cells in those regions change. So essentially, more cells are recruited to parts of the hand that were used more, um, and cells were, you know, sort of sort, sort used away. So those cells were were taking um, taken away from um, innervations to places that are not used as much. So uh, let- so yeah. So let's take this forward an extra step. So obviously this person and like polydactylism isn't actually that rare. It's like there's studies going back, you know, hundreds of years uh, on people with this uh, condition. Uh, It's only more recently that we've been able to actually study the genetics of it. But let's Mm -hmm. like push it forward an idea. So if that's the case, that there is this plasticity that develops with this other uh, extra digit in this person's life and that there's uh, they develop like, ex, you know, different sort of uh, neural pathways to control this. I see where you're going here, Kishore. Yeah, <laughs> I see where you're where's, going. <laughs> where's my extra finger, right? Could I could you graft an extra robotic finger onto my hand and I would develop that kind of plasticity. Well, I think the hard part is the actual grafting. You know, I think no you question. Know, transplanting it. But yes, I think your brain will take care of the rest. I mean, this is what's so interesting about cochlear implants, right? People who are have restored hearing by, you know, these little electrodes that are implanted in their cochlea. And what was amazing is that initially the ear surgeons thought, well, how are we ever going to program, you know, some kind of interface that's going to tell the brain how to read the signal? And uh-uh, they don't really have to do that. The brain figures it out. Yeah. And I want to say that I yada, yada, yada over like the grafting part, which is incredibly complex. Like this person has dedicated musculature and uh you, and you know, nerves and, and nerves yeah. and like mm-hmm. bone structure related to this so this isn't just like oh i'm just gonna plop on a robot finger on here and yeah and here we go and obviously there's years of development that go along with this yeah i mean from birth right so you know absolutely that, yeah. but it does open up like this possibility that hey maybe this like kind kind of mutation is in our future and we could do it <laughs> as a species <laughs> but like they Uh, The discussion section of this paper is so fascinating because they talk about, you know, the experience that uh, this one 17 year old boy has. And it's basically like it's almost like the common tools we use with our five finger lives are too simple, Hmm. like tying shoes. It's just like, oh, I just do it with one hand. It's so easy. And it just makes me wonder about like a six fingered lifestyle. 
actually opens up a lot of possibilities about, you know, the weird ways our, you know, uh, our systems have evolved, uh, but they've evolved according to, you know, stimuluses, you know, around us, not necessarily like to where we could actually go. I'm not suggesting human augmentation. I'm stopping short of that, but I'm saying (laughs) this paper opens up the possibility that there's extra degrees of freedom for humanity that we haven't uh, even tapped. Well, I have I have one more quick quirky story that you reminded me of. Um, Seven which, figures? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, dolphins. Okay. <laughs> um, so you know that there are these dolphins that were found to use tools. You know, we all we always think about dolphins as really smart, and one of the pieces of evidence is this like, this tool use uh, that certain species of dolphin dolphins. Um, I think they're in yeah Western Australia. Um, they they use sponges uh, as a tool to help them catch uh, uh, sort of other fish to eat, right? So they find food in in deeper water using these sponges. Um, but not every dolphin does this uh, in in that particular species. And it turns out that it looks like um, at least some of these tool use techniques are passed down through you know, generation to generation. So it's kind of an example too of culture within dolphins. So super interesting already, but here's where it gets even more interesting. It turns out that dolphins that are spongers, uh, so that, that use these sponges are more likely to associate with other spongers than with non-spongers. You mean they're forming clicks based (laughs) on who's using tools? They're biased. Uh, yep. Among male dolphins, uh, they spend more time with other spongers if they are spongers themselves than they do with non-spongers. Uh, and it turns out that these bonds um, are not uh, are not related to how genetically related they are. So it's not like, oh, you know, in this family we're spongers, so we hang out together. Um, and or or that doesn't they haven't been able to find any other. Um, explanation for why they would hang out other than this one foraging technique. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of remarkable because, um, you know, using the sponge is something that takes a lot of time to master. Uh, and so for a long time, people the, the researchers thought that any kind of sponger dolphins that were out there would really just wouldn't have time to make friends. Um, but it actually suggests that they do, you know, form social bonds um, but only with people with dolphins who share their interests. I like how you assign names to the cliques, like that they're the spongers. And I'd like to think the other clique is the scrubbers, the ones that don't use sponges. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Yeah. Could be. Could be. <laughs> so there you have it. Dolphins are, uh, you know, mean girls, too, even when they're boys. <laughs> So that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd also like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially David Noel, Charles Blyle, Clark Lindgren, Michael Galgool, Stephen Meyer Ewald, Kyle Rahala, Joel, Jonathan Worsley, Yushi Lin, Eric Clark, Jordan Millar, Herring Chang, and Sean Johnson. You can visit our website at inquiring.show and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds and get an ad-free version of this show. Find us on Twitter at Inquiring Show and Facebook, and you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, or anything else you'd like to contact at inquiring.show. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Chien. And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis. You can find me on Twitter at Indre Vis. And I'm Kishore Hari at Science Quiche. See you next week.
Whatever struggles you're facing from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient, you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Inquiring Minds listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code MINDS. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com slash minds and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.